Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Morang. Danny? Oh, God. We're, we're back to this? It's been so long. And to uh, talk with us today, we actually have a guest who is going to give us a little bit of insight into the Denver Nuggets, the Portland Trailblazers. Otherwise known as the enemy. <laughs> the, uh, the opponent for round two of the playoffs. So <laughs> at this point, let's welcome in Brendan Vogt of Denver Stiffs. Brendan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, friends. Excited to be here. Excited I feel like for, we're, uh, we're like inviting a fun the, the White Walkers in. This is terrible. <laughs> There will, this is a spoiler-free zone. Yeah, I haven't watched that episode yet, so <laughs> it definitely has to be a spoiler-free zone. He actually texted me and like, hey, by the way, I haven't watched it yet. So I was like, oh, man, i got to be so generic. Well, we do have basketball to talk about, Dan. There's a little thing Fine. called the Portland Trailblazers that, uh, <sighs> except for on Sunday nights, we have really been focused on for the last, oh, what? What has it been? Seven months? How long is this season, anyway? Anyway, Brendan, we are so glad to have you and um, congratulations to your team for making it to the second round. This is super exciting for y'all down there. It definitely is. It's I, you know, one thing I love about this upcoming series with Portland and Denver, these are two teams right now that for different reasons are challenging that sort of title or bust mentality. It's been six seasons, six years since the, the Nuggets were in the playoffs. It's been a decade since they advanced past the first round. I think it's been 40 years since they won a game seven. So both of these teams are are not quite on that. I know it's incredible. They're not quite on that Houston Golden State level and and neither is likely to take the West. But both are feel good stories and both have very important and positive things happening within the organization in the city. So I can tell you that title or not, this matters to Denver. And it's an exciting time to be a Nuggets fan. I mean, that's a good derail things right away. But if we're judging <laughs> anything... Yeah, if we're judging anything about Houston and Golden State in game one, I, I don't think anybody really has a whole lot to fear from them right now. So, Are we going to do that right off the bat? <laughs> He's going to try, but I'm going to jump right in because I have a question. I've been doing some uh, some research today to uh, you know try to learn more about the Nuggets. I mean, Jokic obviously has been on everybody's radar since the very beginning of the year, since even before the beginning of the year. Everybody knows that, you know, he is um, a new upcoming talent, uh, you know, in Portland. We've had some, uh, you know, fantastic passing centers so we can relate to know what it's like to have somebody with his type of um, skills who just is so different and stands out from the rest of the players. Like kind of Sabonis was like, who is this right. guy? He's so different, you know? So, so they, you know, he's very much that all the storylines have been really about him, but I don't really know much about the other starters on the team. So I'm wondering if you could start off a little bit with telling us a little bit about these other guys who are part of the starting lineup, you know, who they are sort of personality wise and maybe something about them basketball wise as well. Sure. Well, if you're talking Nuggets and, and you're not talking Jokic, you're definitely talking about Jamal Murray, who has been in a, a very difficult player to watch insofar as the peaks are really high and the valleys can be really low. And consistency is probably the biggest thing for Jamal Murray in terms of turning a corner. There are nights where he'll go toe-to-toe with a Damian Lillard or a Kyrie and come out on top. And there are nights where he seemingly can't bring the ball up the floor without being pressured or or bothered or or forced into a turnover. So 
consistency is the big thing on Jamal. This is a guy who was drafted as a scorer, a flamethrower. But that's not necessarily what Denver needs out of their starting point guard. So there's been some growing pains for him in terms of learning how to run an offense, how to get the ball to his center in advantageous positions. They're developing a little bit of that two-man chemistry. But for that was a big part of the games one through three sort of slip for Denver, was Jamal just wasn't very good. And if he's not going to be good, they don't have a chance. Jokic is that constant. Jamal is probably the most important player on this roster in terms of swinging a game or swinging a series. So this is a guy who I think has aspirations to be a Dame-like player. I don't think he'll ever get there, but he's working on on the smaller things, the things that his backup in Monte Morris seems to excel at, like the traditional duties of a point guard. So after Murray, who else do you have in that shooting guard position with Murray playing point? And I guess Jokic also kind of does some of the, a lot of the ball handling too, right? You know, Jokic, yeah, he assumes a lot of the playmaking duties, but you still need a guy to bring the ball up the floor to get you into your offense, to get him the ball. And that is Murray. Another guy who's going to take on some of that responsibility is Gary Harris, who has a, a much smaller role offensively this season than in years past and a smaller role than those two guys that we already mentioned. Um, he, he has been a supplemental player this year. He shot 46% from three in that opening series. But he only scored about 15 points a game. He only took about 10 shots a game in that series. So he's not a focal point of the offense right now. But when he's at his best, he's one of the more consistent guys that they can rely on. The value that he's been bringing, the value that he'll probably bring to this Portland series is on the defensive end. He's a little undersized. He's not a very long guy. So he's he doesn't necessarily do great with, with switching onto threes or sometimes fours. But as far as locking up a one or a two, Gary is an exceptional defender with with great instincts, great timing and great hands. He's got that Kawhi thing where he knows how to how to poke his hand in there without drawing a foul. So he's going to be a huge X factor in this series. We might talk about this a little later. Who is he going to guard? Is it is it Dame or is it CJ? But but his defense is, is going to be an important factor in this series, without a doubt. Conveniently for Gary Harris. The Blazers aren't big, and it doesn't really matter if you switch a smaller guy onto Portland's forwards. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of the reason why this is, I think some people in Denver feel like, despite Portland being a obviously the more talented team than San Antonio and having, I think, probably the best player in the series and Dame, some people feel like this is a better matchup for them. And, and that's definitely part of the reason, Dan. How old are Murray and Harris? Murray's 22 now, and Harris is, uh, I think he's 24, maybe 23. Um, I've always known so. as children. Children, yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the crazy thing about this Denver core. You can look at average ages of roster, but they're built around their young guys. The core is 22 and 24 years old. So <laughs> this is the eighth youngest team in playoff history. And so that they won 54 games. They have that two seed. So now they have expectations. But you're right, Dan. These are These are kids. And we watched them grow up in front of our eyes in, in uh, round one. I mean, Barton and Millsap are your veterans. That's those, right. Those, those are the old heads in, in there. And Barton's 38 and Millsap's 34. Or excuse me, Barton's 28 and Millsap's 34. Like, other than that, this is very, very, very reminiscent to what the Blazers were post-Lamarcus. Right. Just a, a bunch of really young dudes. Yeah, and that's – so I guess here's an organic transition to Paul Millsap, who's obviously going to start at the four. You know, he's getting $30 million this season, and a lot of people feel like because he's not averaging a lot of points, that's an overpay. But a couple of important notes with regards to that dynamic. First of all, Denver had the money, right? It's, yeah. it's not just $30 million. I mean, they had to spend that money, and the rest of their roster was in place. 
So what they paid for was that veteran presence, Mm -hmm. a guy that was going to fill the cracks on the defensive end. But also when they got tested in that first round, like they inevitably would, a guy who who had some poise, who had some know-how, some been there before. Some of that stuff is hard to quantify and evaluate, especially in this sort of spreadsheet era of evaluation. But I can tell you as someone who's around the team every day, that matters and that's permeated that locker room. What are some of the things that he did to help the team when they were uh, you know, struggling to figure it out against San Antonio? It's it's really like as as obvious and specific as just gathering the guys together before quarters, during timeouts, um, during slides. This is a young team that gets ahead of themselves, particularly Jamal, who gets so excited and he wants to feed into that energy, feed off of that energy. Millsap's the guy who kind of brings them together and says, hey, let's take a deep breath. We're not playing the right way, but we're good enough. We're going to win this game and here's why and here's how. And and he is not a, a in-your-face leader. He does not like to do it in front of the cameras, but in the locker room, in the huddles, every nugget will tell you that his voice is the most important in the, on this team right now. Just no more speeches. Yeah, no more Well, <laughs> Malone did say after before game seven, someone said, did Millsap address the team? And he said, you know, at this point... The time for talking is over. Now it's the time for doing so. But but Millsap just sort of carries himself that way on the court. And I I do think there's something grounding about that for a team that at times feels like like some young fish out of water. So you've talked about Jokic, Murray, Harris, Millsap. Now, until recently, former Portland Trailblazer Will Barton was uh, starting for uh, at least during the playoff series. But then the coach made a change. So you want to tell us about what happened there? Yeah, Will Barton is struggling. Um, he is really sort of become the fall guy on this team, which every team seems to have for the fan base and, and some of the local media. Last season, he was exceptional, in my opinion. He gave you 15-5-4 on good efficiency. Not the same defense, but offensively, like very similar to what Chris Middleton gave Milwaukee. Um, he's, a, he's a capable ball handler and improved spot-up shooter. But in the second game of the season, he went down. He, he he hurt his hip and his core. He ended up getting surgery, missed most of the season, and he just hasn't been the same since. I think he's had enough time, I think, to get right physically. Mentally, he's not there. He's not in rhythm, and he can't buy a shot. And and so, given his his defensive deficiencies and his inability to knock one down, Malone, Malone sort of reluctantly turned to Tory Craig, who not that long ago was playing in Australia, was playing in the G League. Now he's starting games in the, for the two seed out West in the playoffs. Craig's a defensive specialist. He's not asked to, to play a big role in the offense, maybe hit some open shots, make some timely cuts, but he's out there to make the lives of guys like Damian Lillard hell and the guys like Russell Westbrook. So that's his role. I think Malone would have loved to stick with Barton and give him a chance to ride that out, but it was just turning disastrous. And um, I, I think for the, for probably the rest of the season, Hopefully not the rest of his career. This is just the version of Will Barton that we're going to get. Well, he was very successful off of the bench last season. Wasn't that his role? It, it was, but it was a little, that's a little misleading. He came off the bench, but I believe he led the team in minutes per game. He very was sort of, for, for sure. And and he was, he was Malone's sort of utility guy, right? And they didn't have. A, a, a true point guard, um, especially at that point in Jamal Murray's development. So often Barton assumed the ball handling responsibilities. He was their de facto uh, backup point guard. And he was also asked to be that Lou Williams off the bench at times as well. So 
his value manifested in all the different ways he was used last year. He was stretched very thin, but he was able to be a, a different type of valuable player depending on what the team needed. And, and that just hasn't been the case this season, even after having been switched back to the bench. So was that, you know, uh, rough for the team? Or, I mean, at this point, I guess, you know, the team has been together all season and they've achieved a lot and they're in a place where they're feeling really good probably about, you know, they've now made it to the second round or at least, you know, they had made it to the playoffs, which they hadn't been able to do the two seasons prior. How did they um, work with this change in the lineup? Did it did it cause consternation that anyone was able to tell or um, was it taken pretty well? No, it was taken pretty well. I think this is Malone's strength as a head coach. And it's one of the things that I, having covered a team now for two seasons, these are the first two seasons I've done this, I really feel like our evaluation of head coaches is is way off. And unless you're really around the team all the time, you kind of have no business doing so because it's deeper than rotations and matchups. A lot of it is personality, ego management. Um, Malone is, is is really focused on personal relationships and he cares about every guy in that locker room and they know that. So I don't think it was easy for him to go to a guy like Will and tell him he, he was going to the bench. I don't think it was easy for Will to hear that, but nothing has really fractured this locker room. This has been one of the happier and, and more drama free locker rooms in the NBA. Um, the Isaiah Thomas stuff didn't affect them. The Will Barton thing hasn't affected them. Credit to the players for staying focused. But for me, a lot of that is Michael Malone. He just has that cachet in that locker room. I mean, the man was was the boogie whisperer. Right? Right. I mean, <laughs> if you're the guy that, that Boogie Cousins is coming in and says, he understands me, he gets me, he talks to me, he speaks to me like no other coach has, like that should pretty much let you know the level to which Malone can communicate with guys. And And all these guys in this locker room now, or the vast majority of them, are guys that they are Michael Malone guys. They are Tim Connolly, president of basketball operation guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these younger players have only known Michael Malone as a head coach. So he has that trust with them. He's earned he's earned that leeway. And I think at this point, none of these guys are going to take anything personally. They have a shared goal. And I think Barton probably understands he's not helping them reach it right now. Dan, I'd like to hear what you think about how these players are going to match up. Um, Brendan talked a little bit about, you know, about who might play whom, but what are, what are your thoughts on how the Blazers might match up against these, this lineup? The, the interesting thing I think coming into this series, obviously, is that without Nurkic, you have Cantor out there. We have, we've all seen the gif, the video of, of Billy Donovan can't play Cantor, blah, blah, blah. Well, where, where's Billy at now? It, it's, it's not exactly difficult to figure out what Denver's probably going to target. And that's with Jokic being a threat from three and in and, and being a facilitator from the high post and from the mid post and basically everywhere inside half court. Um, it's going to be a much more difficult assignment. The problem with this is if you wanted to put somebody different like Alfred Camino on Jokic for a stretch, it's going to be problematic because they've got Paul Millsap. And, and like Brennan said, he's another guy that is kind of like their steadying rock. And so if you're the Blazers, you have to have one of your steady guys make sure that Millsap doesn't get loose because Millsap's more than capable of giving you a, a 25 and 10 night. Like Definitely. He, he has that in his bag. So now you're sitting here wondering, okay, clearly the, the, the front court for the Nuggets are going to be problematic. The flip side of this is, the Blazers can also put Jokic and Millsap in pick and rolls. Mm-hmm. So it, this series is going to be, while 
the the Portland OKC series was very much predicated on the backcourt. This is going to be a matchup of who wins the front court for the Nuggets or the backcourt for the Blazers. Because I, I don't think that there's any given night where the Blazers' front court outplays the Nuggets, and I don't think there's any given night where the Nuggets' backcourt outplays the Blazers. If either one of those go that way, you're looking at a lopsided win for the other team. Because I, th- I think the variance between the two, and this, this isn't me like poo-pooing Murray and Harris. I love both those guys. But the way Damian Lillard just played in that first round, he was legitimately the best player in the playoffs in that first round. He was hands down unstoppable. Murray has been a guy that is longer, athletic, but hasn't been a guy who can really attack Dame. Harris, on the other hand, is a guy that can maybe play his way into that. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out and how heavily each team leans on their strengths. Dan, I agree with that assessment for sure. And that's sort of why I highlighted Harris's defense as Mm -hmm. a potential X factor in this series, something that could swing it. I agree with you. I don't think there's going to be any nights where offensively that backcourt outduels Portland's. Um, But but can can Gary make things difficult enough for either CJ or Dame that you live with one of them going for 28 or 30 if you're Denver, because given the injuries and the, and the disparity between bench play all season long, you like the way you match up outside of that. So I I agree with that assessment and, and, and don't, the rebounding battle will be big here as well. Right. Um, Cantor, I think averaged double digits in that first round. Other than that, there's not a lot of huge rebound getters right now on that Portland team. And that's something Jokic and this Nuggets team does well. So I have my eye on that, but I, I do agree with you, Dan. Yeah, and that's the thing. Obviously, we're, we're going to, as Portland looks at this, they're going to bemoan the loss of, of Nurkic, clearly. But they're also going to say, hey, you know what? We were, we were picked by basically everybody to drop a series to OKC where they featured a pick and roll of Russell Westbrook and, and uh, Stephen Adams and Paul George's ridiculousness, and they still found a way. Now, Mike Malone is a much better coach, in my opinion, than Billy Donovan is going to make, you know, more than one adjustment. Uh, and actually allow your pole canter away from the rim more than five feet for more than like a possession or two. So I, I think that's going to be the initial um, thing that's going to be interesting as far as how the, the game plans balance for both these teams. And the counter to this is, is uh, I've heard Adam Mares, obviously the, the managing editor at, at Denver says who we've had on plenty of times over the last two years hit over and over again on the Nuggets inability to, to cover the pick and roll, especially when you put yep. Jokic in it and, for the Blazers, what was one of the biggest counters and really wasn't discussed en- enough, in, in my opinion, is how they exercised the demons of the Pelicans by taking and running those same pick and rolls they ran in New Orleans last season. But instead of running them at 28 feet, they're running them at 38 feet. And yeah, by doing inter- that, it opens the floor. It's interesting because I think positionally, given Portland's depleted front court, this is a great series for Jokic on paper, right? Mm-hmm. He should eat Cantor alive. He should have his way on the boards. But you're right, stylistically, Portland is going to ask questions of Jokic defensively that were not asked or answered in that first round. He did a great job on the Marcus Aldridge, but as you pointed out, those aren't high pick and rolls. Those aren't spread pick and rolls. That's that's positional defense on a guy who likes contested long twos. Yeah. So what Portland will do is going to test Denver in ways that they haven't been tested yet this postseason. So that's a, that's definitely an important point. I'm interested in how Denver has played against teams that have extremely long range because I don't know if you saw the very first shot that Damian Lillard took against OKC. It it was yeah. the logo, you know, it was the same 30, 
five foot shot, basically. Ridiculous. Um, his very first, you know, so he, he's clearly extended his range and he's been talking about it regularly for the past two weeks. So clearly he's sending a message to the team that he's going to be playing. I have range now. What are you going to do about it? So what's the plan, do you think, that Denver might employ? I think Denver's going to blitz him high. They're going to bring Millsap or Jokic to that level on the screen, and they're going to try to get the ball out of Dame's hands. Um, that's hard to do when he's pulling up from the freaking logo. You don't get a lot of time to, to get the ball out of his hands. But that is what they'll do. Um, they, they don't switch. They don't have the personnel to do that. And so I think that's – that's going to be that's what they did in the regular season. And I think that's what they'll do in this postseason. You get the ball out of his hands as, as high up in the court as you can. And you try to make someone else beat you. And I think that's how anyone should be approaching this Portland team right now. When you look at this team and we, we've gone back and forth between the starting units, uh, Gary Harris is, is certainly a guy who's going to be up an X factor possibly for for Denver. But when I look at this, I, I look at how the scoring has really been distributed for most of the season. Mm. And it's wildly different between Portland and Denver, particularly in the playoffs. While Denver only had four guys that averaged double figures or over double figures, um, you also had a bunch of guys that were basically, you know, seven, eight, nine points, um, which essentially kind of works out in that range. Whereas Portland, even though they have more guys in double figures, it's much, 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 much more heavily focused on two guys, Dame and CJ. When you're looking at this, do you think Denver can be successful without their bench playing? Because Portland's demonstrated that they can do that. Do you think Denver can can be successful in this series if for whatever reason the bench doesn't show up? Yeah, that's well, we saw some of that in that opening series with San Antonio. There were mm-hmm. some games where the bench was not good. And I would say the answer is yes now because of the improvement on the defensive end, which is absolutely the biggest story on this Nuggets team. In in years prior, the last two seasons, among the very worst defenses in the league, and this season they were a top 10 defense. They did a very good job on that end in the first round. So because of that, their baseline has been elevated. And this is a team that if Malik Beasley's not hitting his shots, if if Monte Morris, you know, Mason Plumlee aren't playing well, maybe last year some version of that team would have dropped those games. This year, they can survive if the shots aren't falling. They can survive some poor bench play. But that that requires the starters really going all in on the defensive end. Um, and, and this team really does struggle to play well on both ends at the same time. It, it does seem to be one or the other. So the answer is, is, is yes, Danny, it's possible. But I agree that that is an advantage for Denver in this series. And so on its face, if you're going to tell me Denver's bench underperforms in this series, that's that's a huge advantage for Portland, obviously. On that same token here, you're you're Denver, you're scouting Portland outside of Damon CJ. Who scares you the most? Oh man, that's a that's a really interesting question. Um you know what? I, I in a weird way, Enos Cantor. And he he's been he was good in that first I defensively, I we all know the story, but I think this is a guy that that still can and will give you 15 and 10. Um a guy like Jokic low-key can struggle with a guy like Cantor. Um, he, he may not necessarily approach him with that same sort of focus and mm-hmm. ferocity defensively that he did with Aldridge. And as you pointed out, it'll be a different type of assignment for Jokic, given that he'll be defending in the pick and roll. I think he'll struggle uh, guarding Cantor in, in some regards. So so that's, I, yeah, I mean, that's a weird thing to say in 2019, but I'm going to go with Enos Cantor. Long live the post. <laughs> <laughs> 
Dan, earlier when you were talking about mm-hmm. matchups and you were um, you guys were talking about Millsap, one of the things that we talked about in the last series is that uh, contrary to how in the regular season Al Farouk Aminu spent a lot of time guarding the best player on the team in the playoffs, Maurice Harkless was spending a lot of time guarding Paul mm-hmm. George. So do you see Harkless maybe be moving over to um, to challenge Millsap to leave Aminu again to Rome and help out? I just don't think Harkless is big enough. And, and Aminu's going to struggle. Big enough? <laughs> That's the thing. Well, I mean, uh, uh, Alfred Aminu, I think, is not given the credit he's deserved for how strong he is against just about every four in the league, save probably the superstars and then Millsap and Griffin. And that's because both Millsap and Griffin are, are kind of a throwback in a Carl Malone sense. They're both big, strong, bulky dudes who just happen to be very gifted athletically with their footwork. Um, Aminu can deal with a, a Thad Young. Like th- those stretch fours, that's 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 his wheelhouse. But you get guys that are in not just one, but two, maybe three weight classes above Aminu in Millsap and, and Griffin and guys like that. It's difficult for him to sit there and bang with that. And really, as fantastic as Harkless was in the first round, he was unreal. He's in, I think, a weight class below Chief. Like it, it's just I can see him helping. I can see him digging. I can see him even switching onto him in certain situations. But I think if you're the Blazers, what will more likely happen is Harkless tries to alleviate some of the pressure on Dame or CJ by trying to blow up Jamal Murray or Gary Harris or or, or uh, when he comes in with a bench unit to try to disrupt Will Barton if he's running the second unit or if it's Monte Morris running the second unit. I think that's that's how they'll employ Harkless um, and allow Harkless to play a little bit more free safety, whereas last uh, last series it was Alfaro Camino who was allowed to to gamble a little bit more. But this is where, for me, I think the Craig-Barton distinction really factors in. Torrey Craig, he he hit his shots in that first round. He hit his open threes to close the season. To start the season when he was starting because of the injuries, teams were abandoning him. They were Mm -hmm. not not even pretending to cover him. And it was making life hell for Jokic. He'll hit his shots now. I don't think you can you could ignore him quite the same way. But if Torrey Craig is the starting three for Denver, then that does give some leeway for a Harkless or one of those guys to maybe kind of detach themselves and roam a little bit. Right. Try to yeah. blow up some passing lanes or help at the rim. So that's that's why starting Craig or Barton is is important here, depending on how that plays out. And that's not necessarily uh me like not recognizing Tory Craig because Craig's I think, I think has been a fantastic player for them this year. It's more about the responsibilities that Harkless was tasked with last series yes. against the Thunder yep. in that he had to stay glued to Paul George and also be the wild card in passing lanes and yes. also be the guy hitting the floor and blowing up pick and rolls 35 feet from the rim. Like his dis- defensive responsibilities checklist was absurd. I think it's going to flip this series where a lot more of that's going to fall on Aminu because I think Aminu is going to get caught in some switches and spend time on Jokic just to maybe give a different look. Um, and then Harkless is going to be the guy who it, it, this is to me, this is strange because this series doesn't feature any, this is I think the only series you could possibly imagine where there's no true elite wing threat. Yeah, that's wow. That's a really good point. It's on bids, either team. And, and really, if you look at it, if, it, if Nurkic was healthy, it would literally be, all right, whose bigs are going to are going to bang the hell out of each other and whose guards are going to win the, the matchup by how much like they're, the roster construction is is pretty similar on the, like a very 30,000 foot layer, right? So it, it'll be interesting to see how each team is because 
the, the, the bench players have unique responsibilities where Aminu, uh, not the, so the bench players, the wing players have varying responsibilities on for each team where Craig is clearly the, a three and D guy. Harkless and Aminu have kind of vacillated back and forth between the, the three and the three and D part where Harkless has found a way to live at the rim now mm. uh, and be effective down there. While Aminu has been very, very good uh, from distance here in the playoffs so far. So it'll be interesting to see how that relationship plays out. And I think more than anything, those are probably going to be the things that decide close games, not the, the superstar play of the other guys. I think these are going to be more the deciding factors in the late third, early fourth quarter to kind of set the table for the stars to close out games. There are so many interesting storylines here between these two teams. I mean, there's there were interesting storylines before the teams even matched up against each other. I mean, watching Denver play San Antonio, I thought was absolutely fascinating because it was the youth and talent versus, you know, wisdom and experience. And you saw that they battled it out all the way to the very end. I mean, it was just like, you know, a perfect example of just like the thought experiment of like, which is better, young and, you know, uh, spry or old and wise. (laughs) Like it played itself right out on the court. And now that these two teams are playing each other, I think one of the interesting things is that from everything that's been said, Denver Nuggets are kind of like where the Blazers were a few years ago. You know, they have their star and they're building a team around the trajectory of the star, just like they did with Damian Lillard. But Damian Lillard is, you know, a few to several years farther along than the um, the Nuggets are right now. And now the Nuggets have made it back into the playoffs and, you know, they're going to be tested and, you know, they have expectations. But people have been, you know, I've heard the uh, people are talking about how the Nuggets are frauds and, you know, they're not really belonging there. And I just I think the whole thing is just super, super interesting. So for you guys, what are some of the most interesting ways that these teams are similar or intertwined? Go ahead and take this one. I'll let you go. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Good timing. No, 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 you, no, you. I kind of touched on it um, on it earlier, but I think that having they've arrived at this at this place differently and they're in different places of their timeline. But again, like you just look at the rest of these second round series and, and they're all fantastic. Like You'd feel guilty if you missed a game of any of these. It does maybe feel like Portland and Denver are less likely to contend for a title than some of the others. Yet everyone in Portland and Denver is just as excited for this series. And it's because I think these teams have proven that there is a lot of fun and joy to be had in being a very competitive team. And and even if there's a hard ceiling on that now, Denver obviously has championship aspirations down the line. I'm sure they feel like this year they have a chance. I, I wouldn't agree, but what you have are two teams right now and two basketball cultures that are proving to the community that like, Hey, sometimes it's, sometimes you actually rather would be, a, a Portland and, and and attach yourself to someone like Dame or a young team like Denver, and even if you don't concern yourself with things like titles yet. Or it's not a, an unsuccessful year if you don't win a title. Precisely. <laughs> like, precisely. Just because you yeah. don't – Dan is about ready to blow his top right now. Um, <laughs> Let's do it. Let's disagree. Let's disagree. Or- <laughs> He's hissing. That's what that noise is. He's trying to be like the dragons on Game of Thrones. <laughs> Danny, go ahead. I might have to put a timer on this. <laughs> oh, Deep breath. I had to, to carry the banner for the championship or bust. Um, no, that I, is your I, banner. 
it is to an extent, as long as you're in one of my ways. You're Mr. All About Excellence. Yes, but you have to be constantly building towards something. Mm, mm. That that has always been the 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 asterisk. Championship or bust with the asterisk of be better every year. Like you're building towards it until you achieve it. Like I I I don't like um just because years, you know, like the Knicks for basically 20 years. Like that would that's that's like my my idea of basketball hell. Right. Um, but we're not but talking the key, about them. But no, no, that's what I'm saying. Like the Blazers right now, they they took care of business. They're they're showing that they're building towards something. It sucks that this summer means it's probably gonna dissolve because of the cap, <laughs> but they're building towards something. And Damian Lillard, who every time we ask if he has another gear, finds six. So it's like, okay, sure, cool. But I think both these teams are building towards something, clearly. Uh, Portland gets hit with the unfortunate luck of the Nurkic injury. But even with that, like if a healthy Nurkic, you're clearly looking at Dame and Nurkic a little bit differently right now yeah. than you were a year ago. Like if, if Nurk's healthy right now, I'm not even talking about this, this series, just like the view. Of, let's take a look at it from this perspective. If Nurkic was healthy right now and the Blazers had won that series and they lose to the Nuggets in this series, and we go into next year – who do you think the narrative is going to be about more as far as they can't get it done? Are we going to talk about Dame in that sense, or are we going to talk about Russell Westbrook in that sense? That right. that narrative of the Pelicans has been washed away, and not just because the Blazers won, but because Damian Lillard is elevated to a level of a, a no BS top 10 player in the league. Yeah. Like he, he is, he is at that line. He is, if you're questioning it, I got to kind of have to question your sanity, but the, I think the other storylines here for Denver are, and we haven't even touched on it yet because Nurk's out, but there's, there's gotta be a little bit of salt there. Still have a nice summer. Hey, have Nurk is just going to play a, he's going to play a role in this series. Oh, he's I mean, gonna we, make an appearance on a bench. He just, he's going to have some t-shirts. I think <laughs> yeah. absolutely. There, there's, there's going to be some bulletin board material. There's going to be some cool stuff to, to build upon here. And <laughs> Tara's going to hate this, but for me, it's great. There's going to be some vitriol. There's going to be some anger. There's going to be some mm-hmm. dudes who get teed up. And I am here for every bit of that because while these games between Denver and Portland have been fun, they've been you know a nice little go back and forth. They've never been nasty. This mm-hmm. is the second round of the playoffs. The winner goes to the Western Conference Finals. Somebody's going to get nasty here, and I think that's going to be kind of an interesting sideline for what the story could or couldn't be. I mean, what what happens when Mason Plumley, former beloved lunch pail and hard hat <laughs> Portland Trailblazer center, wipes out Damian Lillard on a drive? Yeah. That's gonna that's gonna cause some confliction between within the fan base here, and I think those little things are going to amplify, like as they did in the first round series for the Blazers. You you had Westbrook, you know he's been busting that ass for years on Damian Lillard. Well, you rock abide that baby all the way back to Oklahoma City. I mean, those storylines built all the way up into Damian Lillard waving goodbye. But who's gonna do that on Denver? It's not the, quite the same thing, but I do think, like, we've seen in the regular season, you know, when they first made that Nurkic trade, Nurkic took the Denver matchup so personally. Oh, God, he <laughs> abused you. Abused it. And and the guys in the Denver locker room, they actually, I, I think they were okay with Nurkic leaving as a player, but as a guy in the locker room, he was well-liked. And there was almost this overcompensation in terms of like, hey, man, we still respect you. We want the best for you. 
But you know, Will and, and Dame have that relationship and, and Mason enjoyed his time in Portland. But you're right, Danny, that that's that's regular season mutual respect. Mm-hmm. Now, now when that Western Conference Finals berth is on the line, all of a sudden, hey, man, we're not really friends right now. <laughs> and I don't think we're going to see a brawl or anything like that. But yeah, this is, gonna be, that life. this is going to be competitive, man. This is going to be two teams that know each other well, that are now in each other's way. And 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 there's really sort of the culmination of uh, of an underrated little rivalry that's been budding now for two to three years. Yeah, I mean, realistically, ever since the Nurkic trade, there has been back and forth. Portland dominated for a little bit. Jokic, you know, kind of humbled Nurkic a yep. little bit in their last matchup and kind of yep. even things up a little bit. And then back and forth, back and forth. I mean, you know, Portland plays Denver without Nurkic, you know, right after he breaks his leg. And even that's a, a close game. And it, I think you look at the back and forth that you're going to get from these two. I think this could spark a a, a rivalry in, in the in the division again, uh, a kind of a, a, a triangle, you know, of rivalries: Portland and and uh, in Denver, and Portland and, and OKC. And realistically, when was the last time either Denver or Portland had a rivalry that really was worth a damn? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree, man. I'm curious who you guys think the players are who are, or do you just both think that it's just going to be a general feeling of our team against your team and it's not necessarily going to be player oriented? Because obviously the last round was very personality oriented. Yeah, was, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook. <laughs> more, more of the former than the latter in this case. I mean, Russ demanded that be, to be a personal thing, mm-hmm. which by the way, guys, I have to say, I have never seen a beef that was more one-sided that did not end in an actual murder. I mean, like that he, he begged for that head to head matchup and, and then the, he ran away from it. And when the dust, when the dust settled, man, there was a clear winner. Um, I, yeah, it's not going to be like that so much as I just think a general sort of competitive and competitiveness and, and animo like not animosity, but just, just chippiness that that's rooted in a desire of winning, you know, more so than, than, like sending a message to the other team or anything. I mean, Jokic is going to chirp. Murray's going to chirp. Murray's going to chirp. Barton's going to chirp. Maybe not right now. (laughs) No, I mean, but he will, will will, will definitely talk to Damon CJ. Oh, for sure. That will 1000% happen. Um, Dame is, is definitely an all actions guy. CJ will definitely chirp. Evan Turner will get out there and chirp. (laughs) I I think there's definitely some opportunities. And because the nuggets do employ, to true no doubt centers, Myers Leonard's going to get out there and he's going to lay lumber on somebody. Mm. Like that's that's definitely going to happen. There is going to be a collision between Myers Leonard and Mason Plumley. I I am willing to bet a large amount of money. I don't know who initiates it, but those two are going to definitely come together, and it's going to be hilarious. I think <laughs> you're wrong, Dan. I think it's Collins and Plumley. Mm. Oh, Collins is feisty, huh? Yeah, I don't think he wants the smoke with with Plumley though. I, I I'd go money with Plum Dog Millionaire there. Um, I don't. I mean, who has Collins backed down against this year? <laughs> I don't think Mason Plumley is this. Is yeah, this. he wasn't afraid of Paul George. He's probably not afraid of Mason Plumley. I, I do have a question for you guys though, and and you just kind of hit on it. Looking at the minutes distribution in that in that round one, it was very very top heavy on those oh, four God. and six guys. Uh, particularly those top four, but it did get all the way down to a nine and a half, 10 man rotation, or or at least 10 guys caught around at least 50 minutes. Will that be the case in round two? Will, will both Collins and Leonard get on the floor in this series? Absolutely. I think yeah, it they, has to be. They're not, yeah. gonna, they're not going to let 
if you if you watched when Steven Adams was on the floor against for the Thunder against the Blazers, um, Zach was not, basically not allowed on the floor in those in those minutes. Physically, okay. he's just not in that weight class. Yeah, like he's he's still a kid, and and that's fine. They can they can use him in those positions where like I don't want to see him on Millsap or Jokic. Plumley, I think it's a little bit easier because Plum's not going to stretch you out and you know get around Collins. Collins, he, he does have this foot speed and the mobility to go and hang. Um, so th- those aren't really going to bother me too much. But I think they'll they'll use Myers um, on on the on the true bigs, and then if Denver opts to go smaller, um, I can I can see. They slid Craig over the four a few times against against the uh, Spurs, right? With with Gay out there, yeah. So yeah. I, I I could see that happening, and then Zach picking up that matchup when the Nuggets try to to kind of size down. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the the true center matchup, I, I think it Myers ends up getting the the true five minutes. Okay, I, I think Colin. Um... Yeah, I think Myers gets the five minutes, but Collins has been playing right alongside him. And I looked at mm-hmm. the games against Denver in particular, and we had Collins Myers time uh, in all of those games. And at least in the one in January, they were among some of the fewer of the uh, positive plus minuses. Um, but one of the things I want to ask you about, Dan, the last game we saw. Aminu playing center at the end of the end of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see situations where Jokic is resting? I mean, is that a small ball a thing that is ever done by Denver, or is it just always either Jokic or Plumlee? There's always a seven footer in there. I mean, that's not always the seven footer, but Jokic. I mean, it, when, when it's when it's game time, it's going to be Jokic. And they don't have backup fours right now, guys. So that's why it's it's kind of one of those three guys in Millsap, Jokic, or Plumlee is always on the floor right now. And and a lot of that has to do with, you know, trusting Lyles, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, that's – yeah, that ship has sailed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, realistically, it's going to be interesting to see how those staggers work. Um, I, I think Portland will size down. Uh, in opportune moments, I mean, if the Blazers are playing Aminu at center, it's probably with with Plumlee on the four. Uh, yeah. While they're going to give up some rebounding, and, and Plumlee's still a more than capable passer, he's not the threat in the post or the threat in uh, on the perimeter that Aminu really has to worry about. Like Portland, in the grand scheme of things, is not going to be worried about Mason Plumlee posting up Al Camino. And you can go small and run a Stephen Adams off the floor. Denver's not going to take Jokic off the floor and and he'll punish that, that matchup on the other end without a doubt. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was wondering if like they ever even bothered to try to do that. They don't, it's, it's been a, it's been an astoundingly like, like lacking part of this nuggets era is they, they don't switch and they don't go small. Like a lot of those sort of modern gimmicks are, are not a part of what they do. The other flip side of this, obviously, is that that was something the Portland Trailblazers were trying to double down on as well. Remember, bringing mm. in Ennis Cantor was so they could supplement what they do, which is run a you know one five pick and roll, and always have somebody who's seven foot three hundred pounds right. to right. eat up space on defense and and put somebody in the rim on offense. I mean, that's there's there's a market shortage of those wing players, so they said, hey, let's be really good at the things that we're really good at. 
Speaking of being good at the things people are good at, I'm curious about what your guys' takes are on the coaches here. What do you think each of these coaches is really good at? I mean, for Malone, he did. He pulled a lot of the right strings in round one. I mean, he made that adjustment of of switching Harris onto White instead of Murray. He he made the the tough call and the right call of swapping Craig for Barton. Um, he was willing to ride Jokic all the way into the ground, a guy who doesn't typically get a ton of minutes, and his conditioning has come under under question. Uh, but it's it's. I think with Malone, what we're seeing more than anything else right now are the seeds that he planted four years ago are now bearing fruit. And and that's sort of the getting a, a, a roster that's not from a personnel standpoint is not built to, to play competitive defense to buy in from an effort standpoint, uh, communication, playing hard for each other on that end to be able to to look at a situation like Craig Barton to make that change without risking upsetting anyone. I mean, I think those those types of things are his strengths. He has this personal relationship with his players if Murray has a terrible game one or Dame whoops his butt, I mean, Malone's going to pull him aside. They're going to have some personal conversations um, about what, what he has to do to be better. He's going to challenge him physically and mentally. So I think it's that kind of sort of cliche kind of will to win crap that Malone brings to the table. His guys just play so hard for him. I'm glad you brought that up because when you look at Portland, I think one of the things is, was, has been over the last few years is who gets these guys motivated? Is it Terry Stunts' job? Is it his responsibility? And no, it, it's it's not his his job to do that because it's become incumbent upon Damian Lillard uh, to right. be that yeah. guy. And the one thing that I took away from the Oklahoma City series, <laughs> like you know, top level team functionality, whatever you want to call it is that this team right now does not need to be motivated. They do not need to be micromanaged. They don't need they, – they look like a team that is just very – when Tara and I went back and forth on this last week, very, very businessman-like. They, they are just ticking boxes and going about their business. Like it's – it's. this sounds disgusting and it makes my skin crawl, but they're very much Patriots-esque right now <laughs> or its next opponent. It's very bland. It's very dry. But they're clearly – guess who those marching orders come from? Those it's come Dam- from Terry Stotts and Damian Lillard. Damian like, Lillard, yeah. That, that's where it comes. But if I'm talking about the coaching aspects, I'm going to go full X's and O's. Terry Stotts had – in the Blazers had the fourth most efficient after timeout production in the league. Mm. I mean it, it's that's dumb good. All, everybody, Brad Stevens is blah, blah, blah. Just piss off. Terry Stotts has done this for the last seven years. Every single year he is up there. The man is a wizard. I will tell you this right now. This is a play that you guys have actually in Denver have been beat up on by Damian Lillard and a big or two sets of bigs over the last five, six years. You will see a baseline out of bounds play that will feature a high low from the baseline passer to the top of the key back inside for a Blazers bucket. That play will unabashedly come probably four or five times, and you're going to know it's coming. But the Blazers have it diagrammed, and they throw just little wrinkles into it to where it catches you just off guard at the wrong time. And I swear to God, they score on that play 85% of the time. Stotts it, is one of my favorite coaches in the league. And and especially you look at the way this Blazers team is right now without Nurkic, and, and you know 
defensively, okay, that's pretty much just about Dame and CJ. Mm -hmm. And yet these guys are going to get open looks anyway. For Dame, a certain percentage of that is that he just creates them or he doesn't need to be open. Yeah. But it's it's that almost it it's not entirely dissimilar from what Quinn Snyder does in Utah in terms of that advantage offense. It mm-hmm. seems like someone's always catching the ball with momentum, right? And they're they're moving somewhere with purpose. Pistol action and, and pin downs, baby. Yeah, exactly. And and it's just like dizzying sort of like horizontal kind of tra- triangular movement along the, the mm-hmm. perimeter as they probe for for vertical openings. And for the for for a team that should theoretically be so easy to game plan against to consistently get open looks for their two best guards, I think a lot of that is Terry Stotts and 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 tactically, at least offensively, he's definitely one of my favorite guys in the league. Yeah, I and honestly that's not a thing that decides a series, but I think it's one of the things you look at is that what well, Stotts has, has built the foundation here that it's now, you know, that line between Stotts and Damian Lillard, like the, it doesn't need to be said. It's it's just things are handled by the guys in the locker room. This is this is not a locker room you ever hear anything about on any kind of level, um, negative or positive. They just all yeah. like each other and everything's locked in and it's yeah. top. But I think Terry Stotts and, and that relationship that he has with his guys is what allows that to kind of come together. And one, the, one, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry, on, on the tactical side, it's th- their offense is very, very similar to what it has been over the last couple of years. It's just, yeah. it's fine tuning a process. I mean, when you spend so much time with something, just a little alteration here, a little tick there, change the the, the, the route here instead of, you know, running off a down pick, let's turn it into an off axis eleva- uh, elevator doors, you know, instead of coming straight up, let's move it to the wing or move it to the, to the, the, uh, the wing extended and just changing just slight tweaks. And I think that's the difference between the Blazers and Nuggets right now and where they yep. are in their evolution and where their coaches kind of have to, where Malone is probably looking more at the management of emotions, egos, and, and yep. like how to manage all those little things along the way. Stotts is just over here twisting the dials, just a little and, tweak here, a little twitch there. And with Malone, those are the things he doesn't do, that offensive stuff. I mean, he's not. He's not inept, but he's not a savant. He's not a, a warlock. And Denver, with a guy like Jokic, I mean, you could have watched this team play over the last three seasons make, and make a strong argument that this is not the best version of their offense. Um, and I think a lot of that is that Malone is not a Brad Stevens or a Terry Stotts. Uh, one thing he does do well is he learns from his mistakes. And so if there is something that he tries in this series or if there is something that is not working – Malone will make an adjustment and he won't be afraid to do so. So that, that would, that's, that's, a, that's the final point on Malone for me. Yeah. The, the, just for reference here, um, Stotts and, and the Blazers are fourth after timeouts. Malone mm-hmm. and the Nuggets are 26th. Yep. That sounds about right. <laughs> so, so if you're looking, if you're looking for that potential spot, it's um, it, I, I think that's something you could probably take a look at. Yeah, I agree. Guys, this has been just a really awesome conversation, and I'm really looking forward to this matchup, more, way more so than, than I thought I would have, like, had you asked me about this a few weeks ago. But I just – I think there's there's fantastic basketball storylines. There's fantastic personnel storylines. Lots of things to look forward to. But it's about time to wrap it up. I want to ask you one last really short question, and then we will wrap it up. Clay, in your opinion, which team do you think has the most to prove? Denver. Yeah. Denver. It's it's. I think Portland, we kind of know, like, they proved what they had to prove in that first round, right? Like, mm-hmm. that. okay, without Nurkic, um, Dame is good enough. 
And and I think that was really like the big test for Portland that everyone sort of, okay, we're pleased with their season now. Uh, Denver is a team that for whatever reason, I guess they just won too many regular season games. Well, they only won more <laughs> than Portland. But I guess that like- But it's the perception. It's the perception, right? So I, I, I guess this like- for for any other team this age, we would be looking at them from this long-term standpoint. Oh, like, well, they've got this bright future. For Denver, if they lose a playoff series before the Western Conference Finals, they're frauds now. Mm. And and that's unfortunate. But I think there is a real – definitely in that first round, there was some nervous energy from the Denver fans because it's a fickle fan base and it's a tough local media on the Nuggets. And, and if they underperform – if they underperform – that all of a sudden this feel good story does not feel so good anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you mostly because of one thing and something obviously we've touched on plenty. It's the Nurkic injury, the Blazers going out and handing OKC their ass on a platter in the first round. I mean, realistically the Blazers outplayed them dramatically with the exception of game three and game three, the Blazers played good. Like it was just that OKC played unreal up and down their lineup. So I, I think the Blazers prove kind of who they are, and then right now they're playing with house money. Now, yep. clearly, that's not the the relationship or the attitude in the Blazers' locker room. The, the the quotes and the the discussion from Damian Lillard, the mentality and the attitude that he has shown since these playoffs started, that man is hungry for blood. He he wants a Western Conference Final uh, appearance. He wants to be on that stage where there's no excuses for not watching because it's a Denver Portland series or a Portland New Orleans series or something along those lines, right? He wants the world to see what yeah. he and his teammates are capable of. But they have that that pin ready to pull on, hey, you know what? They're doing this without their probably second most valuable player. And if they drop to the Nuggets, I don't think that the national narrative is going to be anything negative against the Blazers unless, for whatever reason, Dame or CJ or the bench players just don't show up at all. Like, it's just right. something glaring, right? So yeah, I agree with that. I, I look at this and that from, from my own – and we talked about this plenty, Tara. My own view is always building towards something. And if Nurkic was healthy, I would pick the Blazers and I would definitely say that they have more to lose. Uh, going into the series today because they, they, there wouldn't be an excuse. There would be, hey, we're building towards something. We got, we, you know, t- step one was taken care of. Now let's go show the, the the new guys. You have to go through them first. You have to make that step first. You have to, you have to know what it's like to lose in the playoffs before you can go on. Right. That's yes. the mentality that you have. Yeah. So with Denver, even though they kind of skipped that step, I yeah. think they they get an asterisk here because. They're playing the Blazers without Nurkic, and and for for the locals and the media out there, they're going to look at that and go, "Hey, they don't have Nurkic. You don't have any excuses. You've got yep. the best big man in the series, and if you don't get this done, this is on you." Yep, I agree, and it's not it's not quite that same pressure as the first series. I mean, if they had lost to the Spurs, um, I think a lot of the the people that really follow this team closely would say, "Let's give it one more year before we react." You but lost the not, pop of the White Walkers, you know. It's right, just, right. Kind of but that's not that's not how most people would have reacted. That's not yeah. how the casuals or the radio guys would have reacted. It's not quite that same pressure against Portland, but just compared against one another, I think you're a hundred percent on the mark, Dan. It's because of that Nurkic injury. Like no no one's sitting here saying Portland has to win this series. It's house money is the proper term. Mm-hmm. Right on. Well, such good stuff, you guys, Brendan. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been great talking oh, to you. Do you. you want to tell folks where they can find your work? 
Sure. DenverStiffs.com, largest Nuggets community on the web. Um, if you've heard of Adam Mares, I've pretty much just attached myself to his coattails. So you'll probably see my content in the wake of his. And you can follow me on Twitter at BVOT422, BVOGT422. Uh, yeah, just really stoked for this series, guys. I'm actually going to be in Portland for games oh, three nice. and four. So, oh, you, oh, you're coming out with Adam? I, I am. So if you guys okay. are around and you want to grab a beer, talk some hoops, I'd love it. That, that's definitely happening because I, I need to take the uh, the big man out and, and, and show him around. Dan, why don't you tell people how, I mean, just in case there's anyone brand new who doesn't know how they can find you. <laughs> okay, perfect. You can find me on NBC Sports Northwest before and after every game for Blazers Outsiders with Joe Simon, Shane Brennan, and I. Uh, we are going to have extended coverage through the second round, and it's going to get more and more as the Blazers go along. More as that comes, but we will have you leading up to the game. And as soon as the buzzer hits, you can go ahead and flip over from your national coverage to NBC Sports Northwest, and we will have your live post game with sound and everything else from the locker room. You can find me on social media at DMARING, at D M A R A N G. Any questions, comments, concerns, want to ask me what I think the Blazers are going to do on the offseason, hit me up anytime. Uh, Tara, go ahead and take us out here. All right. Thank you. You can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. You can find the Hoops and Talks podcast at Hoops and Talks on Twitter as well. And we're still have some really exciting people to talk to as the playoff series goes on. So make sure if you haven't already subscribe to the Blazers Edge podcast and you will get all these new episodes as soon as they drop. Guys, thanks one more time for joining us. Uh, It's been great and we will talk to y'all later.